0: Well, it's, uh, it's like the first Sunday and uh, we're thrilled to be back and thrilled to start this, this, this year and this series. I'm excited to, to begin that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this weekend, this week, uh, this fall and this year. We ask that you would um, be um, very much as you've promised, a part of our lives as we open our hearts. we so excited and ask that even in this series now that you would speak, Holy Spirit, come and use these thoughts and these words to help us know you more, to help us know ourselves, and to help us be in relationship with others, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I learned this um, past summer, I have two dogs, and I've learned that they're actually health nuts, um, and on the screen, you'll see there on the, in, on the left side is our dog, Tessa, the young one. Um, talked about her in the past, golden retriever. On the other side is Lila, who's the older one, and she's a, actually a golden retriever, German short hair mix. Looks like a, a black lab, right? Well, um, I, I found out that some of their health nuts, when I get up early in the morning, I have my quiet time, I'm out on the porch and I, you know, I feed them. And then after they're done eating, I watch them this summer Early on in the summer, they started eating apples off the tree. And they would eat nine or ten, like that. And so if you look at the tree, you'll see see where the apples are way up high. We have have three trees, one crabapple tree that's huge. It has all kinds of apples. We have no apples on the ground. And if you look how high they are, I'll, I'll just watch sometimes in the morning, and they will jump so high in one of the trees, you can't even see the dog anymore. They love the fruit. We have had this bountiful harvest, and they have enjoyed it. But not only that, through the summer, early on, I, I, I was looking at our tomato plants and I was watching how they were kind of forming and growing. I was so excited about it, and I came out and, and I noticed there's somewhere missing. And then I noticed that, in fact, you know, this summer I have not gotten one vine ripened tomato because my dogs are now eating tomatoes. And it and, and really amazes me, now into, we have plum trees in the one side, and they're, they're actually into plums too. So, you know, these dogs, unbelievable. We've had this huge harvest of fruit, and we really haven't enjoyed it too much as a family. It says in, in James chapter 3, verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness i've had this bountiful harvest but something has gotten in the way peacemakers who sow in peace can expect a a harvest of righteousness and yet there's a really important thing we need to consider because as you think of the relationships you have with one another that you have in a marriage or in a family setting or with friends and, or on a team or a sport or if it be in a church or it be in any kind of relationship where you're socially involved with people, you should expect some really good things. You should expect there to be a harvest that actually is produced that you enjoy. In fact, the whole idea of the Trinity where it talks about God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is this perfect community that is in relationship with one another. And in their relationship with none or one another, they enjoy these incredibly good things. Well, something can get in the way. And I want you to think about the question. What is it that gets in the way of you enjoying the harvest that God intends for you to have with regard to the relationships that you have with other people? What is it that that comes in and takes away the fruit, so to speak. That removes that which you are supposed to have, according to God's Word. Well, James is clear that a relationship with one another, this incredible potential for harvest, can provide good and wonderful things. But here's the question I ask you, that I want you to think about. What is it? The Word of God seems to say, often one of the things that comes in and spoils the harvest is conflict. And it's not just about conflict, it's how you handle conflict. How is it that you handle conflict? This morning I want to share with you from from chapter 3 of James, in this verse specifically, verse 18, this whole idea of conflict. And, and, And what and how we're supposed to respond to this. What are the truths around this? Well, the first thing you'll find as you go through this, this, this verse and as you look at the context of this, this letter, you'll find that conflict is inevitable. Developing the skill of peacemaking, sowing in peace, as he says, so that you can expect a harvest, it's necessary because conflict is, is an unavoidable fact of life. It will, it will find you where there is more than one person, you will find that there will be conflict. In fact, chapter 3 of verse 17 and 18, it's important, he says here, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, and he lists a whole bunch of things that I believe are necessary for sowing in peace, he says that kind of peace that is sowed in by a peacemaker raises a harvest of righteousness. But the reason he has it there is because he's writing in chapter 1 about conflict. He's talking to people here who are experiencing trials in their life. And those trials are are causing them to feel tension, and that tension is a sense of conflict that they're having, not necessarily with other people, but with God. Here are some people that I believe probably had come to faith in Christ, had, had begun to move into relationship with Him, maybe committed their life to following God, and seeking to live this holy life, this life of righteousness. And as they began to do it, they experienced trials. And they're saying, God, but what in the world? And they experienced conflict. And, and James right away says, let me share with you. Conflict's inevitable. And because that comes in your life, you need to understand that you are to consider it joy because God allows this so that He can produce the kind of character in your life that's necessary. You go on and you read in chapter 2, he's writing to a community of people here who are once again experiencing conflict. But this time it's due to clicks. They have people coming into their community, their little fellowship. They probably met in homes or in the gardens outside some of these homes, which could be larger, where people could meet. And as people were pulling up, new people would come. The guy would get out of his Lamborghini. He's wearing Ralph Lauren. And a number of people would begin to fawn around him and show him favoritism because of his wealth and his influence. And James is looking at this group and saying, this kind of stuff causes conflict. It shouldn't be. And then he writes to these people in chapter 3, and he's saying not only these things that you're doing, not only the trials that come into your life, but also the words that you use with one another are a source of conflict. He says, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. And then he says, my brothers, this shouldn't be. This shouldn't be. And so in the midst of this this community of people and these people that he's writing to, this letter went to a number of different community groups. He's writing to them and he's saying, Guess what, folks? Conflict is inevitable and you are called to be a peacemaker. It's an unavoidable thing. That's one of the reasons why I love the Bible. It is so real. It's not some Pollyanna storybook that paints these kind of pictures that are rosy and, and beautiful. In fact, if you look at the Bible, you see from the very first pages of it from Adam and Eve. You go to Cain and Abel and you follow through all the different stories. What you find is these recorded stories of these people having conflict with one another and conflict with God. And you follow it all the way to the pages of Revelation where this huge conflict where it ends. And the whole point of this, as you read through the Bible, is all about relationships. And if there are relationships and you want to enjoy what God has intended for us to enjoy, because God has made us to enjoy this harvest of righteousness, to enjoy the things that we have in relationship with one another. But the key thing, the question you find throughout it is conflict and how you deal with it. Because it's inevitable. Uh, you, You never... Does the word of God give us the opportunity to say, once God's in our life, we won't have conflict? Because we are sinful and we are imperfect people, we will experience conflict. And so the question is, what do you do with it? James says there's a healthy way to deal with it. And when you get to verse 13, he says to those people, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? He asks this question, then let him show it by his good life and by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And then he says in verse 17, here's the wisdom I'm talking about. It actually comes from heaven. So not only is conflict inevitable, the second thing I want you to, to hear here as you look at verse 17 is that conflict calls for godly wisdom. You see, this whole idea of being in peace and enjoying this harvest of righteousness isn't something that comes naturally to us as people. And because if we did, we'd enjoy relational harmony. But because it's inevitable and because conflict comes to us and we don't handle it in the ways that, um, in fact, we handle it in natural ways, it just gets us in trouble. James writes and he encourages people to be wise when it comes to handling conflict. In fact, if you look at verse 17, his point is this, that you need godly wisdom. You need the understanding, the peace, all those things that come from God to be in your life in order to, Allow it to move into relationships so that those relationships can work well and bring about healing when there are times of rupture and when conflict hurts. So, when conflict arises, let me ask you what's your natural tendency? If conflict's inevitable, you're going to experience it. How do you handle that conflict when it comes? Do you sow in peace? This whole idea of sowing in peace, we're going to look at more in the coming week. But it's so incredibly important. So if you don't sow in peace, then what is your natural tendency? What is the path you take? In fact, some of you might be surprised. You might be thinking, well, I'm that kind of person who, know, yeah, when conflict comes, I'm, I'm always about you know keeping and, 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 and bringing about peace. Maybe. Let me put it another way. Where did you learn your conflict resolution skills? I had the opportunity to, um, throughout my years as a pastor to meet with young couples who are um, wanting to be married. And it's an interesting thing when you have them come together. But we take this inventory called PREPARE, and in that inventory they list a number of things that they try and find out where you're at in a sense of agreement. And one of the things they list is communication. And one of them they list is conflict resolution. And what I find is interesting, seldom do you find people high on the conflict resolution scale. From time to time. But often you don't. And which makes me ask that question, where did you learn your conflict resolution skills? I asked them that. And we usually learn them where we experience our first conflict. Where did you learn your first and experience your first conflict? Anybody know? At home. So what you find is that the Word of God says conflict's inevitable. And the result of that, conflict will come. And we need godly wisdom because our natural recourse will be to do what we learn from the place that we grew up. And conflict resolution skills are learned from one's family of origin, their upbringing. And because peacemaking, peace-filled relationships don't just happen naturally, that's why James says we need God's wisdom when we approach conflict. If you look at verse 13, he says, Who is wise? And understanding among you. Let him show it by his good love, life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. Don't deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, in fact, of the devil. So he wants to make it very clear right there that, you know what, and we'll be looking at this in, the, in a couple of weeks. To come. And this whole idea of envy and this whole idea of selfish ambition, that has not something that we should be proud about, not something we should deny, but that natural recourse causes all kinds of problems in relationships. He goes on and he says, verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, it, it loves peace, peace loving considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy. And he can hardly wait to the whole idea of harvest. So he says, and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it when you look at the message, which is a paraphrase. Uh, And paraphrases are not exact translations of the Bible, but they're, they're a person's view as they look at it and they get as close as they can to what it's saying. And they put it in a way that maybe we can hear it in our language. And so he says in verse 17, he says, real wisdom, God's wisdom begins with a holy life. And we heard the choir sing about holiness. And you know, we have this idea that so often holy is this idea of this moral goodness that is so far removed that you can't hardly touch it. The word holy, when he says a holy life, he's not talking about you being so morally good that your nose is up in the air and that you have this kind of heavenly mindedness that puts you away from the earth and that you can't even be touched. Holy in the Word of God often means unique, one of a kind, different, not the same as, something that stands apart from. When we think of God, there is no one like Him. He is holy. And in a sense, he's saying the kind of life that is that, that allows for real wisdom to flow through it, that begins to penetrate one's heart through humility and, and through this idea of loving peace and, and, and wanting mercy and, and being considerate and submissive and all those things as they work themselves into a person's life, it has the ability to set them apart, to make them different. When you look at their life, you're kind of amazed. You go, how is it they can live their life in such a way that they don't deny conflict? In fact, when conflict comes... They don't avoid it. They don't run into it in, in, in aggressive ways, but they actually move into it in a way that they bring God's love and peace. And the world looks on and people look on and go, How does that happen? What's that like? And so he says, Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life. It's, it's unique, it's different because it's guided by the wisdom of God, which he says here in James, and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable overflows with mercy and blessings not hot one day and cold the next not two-faced you can develop a healthy robust community that lives right with god and enjoy its results and, and catch catches only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other treating each other with dignity and honor you might look at that and say, well, where in the world you come up with this idea of getting along with each other? Well, if conflict is inevitable and we understand that the ways we deal with conflict is our natural path where we learned it from our family and we realize we need godly wisdom, we need God's. Really, revelation and intervention into our life in order to change the relationships and the way they're going. There are some people here, as I'm speaking, that I know that in your relationship, maybe with a spouse or with someone that you deeply love, and there's conflict, and you need God's intervention. You need the wisdom, the revelation from God. You need for Him to impart into you this, this heart of humility, this a willingness to follow Him in this relationship. And he says that kind of life, he says, not only is conflict inevitable and not only do we need godly wisdom, but the third thing is in handling conflict, if we want to do it well, it involves hard work. That's why Eugene Peterson makes this paraphrase here. He says, it gets results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other. Oh, that comes from that verse when he says this. Those who are peacemakers, sow in peace... And he uses this agricultural kind of analogy. And then as a result of sowing it in, they will experience a harvest of righteousness. Because they have learned well by listening and humbling their hearts to allow God to begin to be the one that directs their life and begins to fill their life. So that in that process, it doesn't just magically happen. One of the reasons you experience conflict, and he says consider it joy when trials come into your life, is because those are opportunities for God to do the hard work in your life that you need done. The opportunity for Him to say, you know what, there is ambition here that's getting in the way of this relationship. You have to understand there's envy that is getting in the way of this relationship. There is this that is going on in the relationship, and, and He needs for you to kind of stand back so that he can do the hard work and you can do it with him. And then once you even begin to do that, it's hard work as you move into that conflict with someone else. And there's never the guarantee that you'll come out and there'll be this, this, this relationship that is strong. But at least as you move into it, you give opportunity for that to happen. And so he says, you know, it's hard work. Well, uh, peacemaking raises A harvest. And for a lot of people, how many people grew up on farms here and are are really agriculturally minded? You have an advantage on the rest of us. I'm a city kid, suburban kid. I married a woman from Thief River Falls who was a farmer's daughter. And I remember as we were in love and we were setting times and trying to figure out when to do the date and choose the date of our wedding, I remember thinking to myself, this is like, you know, you know, now you have to choose like a year and a half in advance, but you know, back then it was like seven months and you're okay. And so I remember saying, well, let's do it in the first week of June. And she goes, no, we can't do it then. They're, I don't know if they're planting still up there because the ground's too hard or whatever, irrigating or something. You, far, you farmers know. And so June was out. I said, okay, then uh, let's look at the second week of July. I'm thinking we can do it then. Because, oh, no, they'll be cultivating and this and that and all these. I'm going, okay. Uh, how about the third weekend in August? Oh, no, no, we can't do it then. Well, what do you mean? Because we have harvest. You don't do anything in harvest time. What do you mean you don't do anything in harvest time? You know, I'm a city kid, suburban. I don't get the hard work of farming. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world did anybody get married in river Falls? Right? So I'm thinking, you know what, maybe we can just get a brief window grace from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on August 7th. Could we do it then? And we finally came down to a date and we chose that date because it was in between what was going on in the farm and harvesting and there was kind of this hope that, you know, that would be the time. and, And I got my baptism into what it means to be a farmer and realized at that point I'll never be one. It's hard work. It's hard work. When it comes to relationships, the reason he says sow in peace is because in a sense you're like a farmer. If you really want the kind of harvest that brings about the kind of marriage that you want, if you really want the kind of harvest that will bring about the family you want, if you really want the kind of harvest that brings about the kind of close friendships that you desire or the, the team that you're going to be on or the place you work if you, as much as you can control it, or in this community, folks, it is hard work. This whole getting along business and the way we deal with conflict is not something that comes naturally and easy. In fact, so often what we do is just the difference of that. It says peacemakers sow in this peace. So often we confuse it and we become peacekeepers rather than peacemakers. And there's a huge difference between between someone who keeps the peace and someone who makes the peace, which we'll talk about next week. Jesus himself said that peacekeeping is, is not what we're about. In fact, as he looked at his disciples and after spending three years with them and, and, and teaching them how to be in relationship with one another, at the end of his three years, he looks at them before he goes to the cross to deal with the conflict of their sin before God. And he says to them this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And catch this, because there's so much confusion around this idea of making peace versus peacekeeping. He says, I do not give you the kind of peace that the world gives. Well, what's the kind of peace that the world gives? Well, the kind of peace the world gives is what you saw in Jesus' day when Rome came and you had the Pax Romana. They talked about the peace of Rome over the land. Well, how was that peace established? That peace was an external, visible, superficial peace. It was really a pretend peace. It was a peace that was, was issued in by force. It was an external thing. And if you got out of line, you were in trouble. But there was an ability to keep Things at peace, even though there wasn't peace in the heart and there was unrest. It's what we talk about when we talk about peacekeeping troops that go into an area because of all the turmoil that's there. And the best they can do is to try and provide a peace so that at least things can be of order in that community. And they do, and when I talk about the troops, they do a heroic job in doing that. But it's not the kind of peace that Jesus was talking about. That's peacekeeping. It's the kind of thing that happens on a Sunday morning. Like Brett was saying, when people come out of their car, they're having you know, their intention in their fight, they have this fight on the way, and they walk into the church, and they all of a sudden, automatically, when someone says, oh, how you doing? They go, oh, great. It's not the real stuff. And Jesus is always about the real stuff. Getting down deep into that need. for that. It's not just external and visible. It's not this truce. It's not a ceasefire. Let me bring it home to you. Have you ever received flowers or a backdrop or some kind of gift after a really difficult thing as a way of making peace? Anybody ever had that? Yeah, be honest. First service is more honest than you. Well, it works for a while. But let me ask you to think about this. If the same issues keep coming up again and again and again, eventually what happens? Those offers of peace, of truce, those ceasefires, lose what they were hoping to do. Because internal change has to happen. I shared this with the first service. Um, One of the crummy things about preaching folks is that when you go up to preach on something and things are not in kilter in your own life in marriage, it's really not easy. Okay. So yesterday, Grace and I were doing some things and we're planning for something and I wasn't real excited about it. My attitude was really bad. She was here for service and she was shaking her head yes. And I remember just having this bad attitude and what I loved about her and what I've loved about what God is teaching us in relationship is that attitude comes up on somewhat of a regular basis. And she looked at me and she said, With with guts, I love it. You know what? That's gotta change. Well, you know what that does for most guys? And I'm fighting this thing in my heart and I'm dealing with and, and I'm going, okay. And I know she's right, and so I kinda give in and, and all night I'm kind of and then I go this morning and I'm working on this message. And I, this morning I saw her and, you know, I, I just told her I'm sorry. And, and she's so incru- Again, she says to me, you're forgiven. It's just this has got to change. <laughs> because we're not going to have pretend Peace. We're not going to do the superficial stuff. And that means getting underneath that. That means coming to God and saying, God, I really need you. I need to understand. I need to know what's going on. And, and you may need to know that in your own life. This is, Folks, this isn't about coming to church and getting all excited and singing a bunch of songs. This is about real life. This is about really living life with one another where you humbly come before God and you, you bend your knee before Him. You say, God, I want You in my life more than anything. I want to be shaped. I want to be characterized by the very... Life of Jesus Himself. Because I want you living in and through me. I want to be a holy, not holier than thou, but a holy, unique like you kind of person that the world looks at and goes, I want that kind of life. And I believe God looks at that in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in the places we work and the people we're with, but especially in the church here. Because... I just want to share with you that I really, really believe that the church is to be a model and a light to the world. Israel had an opportunity. They were told that they were to be a light to the world. You read through Isaiah and he says, you know what? I chose you that you would be my firstborn son and that you would show to the rest of the world that you that I'm a part of you and I live in you and I breathe in you and I creating these things so that you can enjoy my blessings so that people look on and they'll go. I want what you've got. And my deepest prayer in these coming days is that we will be the kind of community when people are looking in from the outside that as we work together and do the hard work of being in relationship with one another. And it does not mean that we'll always agree. It does not mean that we will have no conflict. In fact, we will probably have more conflict because as we get real with one another, God brings up those issues, but He also tells us He'll empower us that we in love and humility and, and submitted in joy and love, peace, and work towards it, He will help us work towards even better kinds of things of fruit and blessing. And the world is looking on and needs us. They need to see a people who are different and called out by God And folks, this is not an easy thing This is not going to happen because we're really smart Or because we read God's Word better than someone else This is going to happen because the Spirit of God Chooses to come into people who are humble and open And say, we want you more than anything And and you have to understand how difficult this is You see, we are a community, a collection of people that come from a whole bunch of different families where we've all experienced conflict because it's inevitable. And we've all experienced this conflict that becomes natural to us because we learn how to deal with it in the ways that we've learned and in those paths that we take. And then we come together as a whole group of families bringing this stuff together. How in the world are we going to do it? We're going to do it because God says to the people who call upon him, who seek to know him, who, who begin to allow his word, the truth of who he is, begin to penetrate and, and, and work through him so that his grace begins to move into our lives so that we are able to offer both grace and truth like Jesus did when he showed up. That will change our lives and that will become a light to the world and we will be a people that, that represents God. But it doesn't mean we won't have conflict It doesn't mean that we won't resort to natural ways. So how do you handle conflict? Let me just share with you just two paths that I think people take. And I want you to think about this in your own life. I want you to really wrestle with this. What am I like? Because some people go, you know, I don't have a whole lot of conflict. Well, there's two ways that I think most people handle conflict. They either avoid it. Or they attack. It's either aggression. Which is the one that keeps peace out of power and it's external. Or they just avoid it. So there are some people, you look at their marriages and you go, how in the world could she live with that guy? All right? Well, they're usually pretty good avoiders. Because if, if that person didn't avoid it and actually stood up, which is a scary thing, Like in in our, you know, I'm getting real personal, so I'll get more personal. Anyway, in our marriage, you know, as we were working through things and, and from time to time, and I'll say this, we have from time to time seen counselors because they help us. They are godly people at times we bring into our life to help us get through some things that we're not necessarily seeing eye to eye on. And so I remember at one point, I remember the counselor saying to my wife, well, if he gets upset or he's angry or he's intimidating, just look at him and go, so what? Some of you avoiders at times, and you women are laughing, you know what You know what it's like. And men do this as well. There are times, and I'm not saying if it's a physically abusive situation or relationship, you need to get someone else in there because, you know what, you're not in a healthy place. But I'm telling you, in most situations, the avoider, when they get real with the issue and they choose in Christ to take the courage that they've been given by God to stand up to it, you're going to face anger, and it's going to be scary, but yet at the same time, it's the only way that couple's going to bring energy in that relationship and cause it to thrive. And you know what? On the other end, the aggressor, the attacker, you've got to get tired of trying to run over or to intimidate in order to get what you want, because you will never get what you want. In fact, if you look at James chapter 4, you should just see what he says. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires at battle within you? Those of you who through aggression and through attack and think that you can fight and get what you want, you're never going to get it, he says. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have it. What you want, you quarrel and you fight. And guess what? You don't go to God. You don't humble your heart. You don't listen with understanding. You don't allow for mutuality to occur so that God can do in you what He wants to do, and that's bring a harvest of righteousness. Because He wants you to know the fullness of blessing. And so I really believe most people learn in their family of upbringing and they bring it into the church, these different ways of either avoiding or attacking. And, uh, and sometimes we call ourselves, you know, like God's really in that. Well, you know what, what God's really in is people who do the hard work of getting out of those kind of patterns, allowing God through His Spirit to work together and grow together so that God's alive. And that's my deep desire and prayer. That's what I pray that God will do here among us. I I have to share with you, I started praying about this a year ago. A year ago, I brought some people together who have done peacemakers through Ken Sandy and stuff like that. And there are people here who will help you. They're trained to help mediate and do stuff like that if you want help. We have a counseling staff who are here to help people. But about a year ago, I just felt like, God, this is really critical for us as a body. It's really critical for us, not because of what we're going through there. I just knew that if God is going to move through us the way he wants to move through us, it's going to happen because we have chosen to recognize the fact that conflict is inevitable, that we have these natural patterns that we need to have God's wisdom move through us. And we need to commit ourselves to say, you know what, this won't always be easy. But we're going to be a bunch of farmers. Do the hard work. Because we want a harvest. And I don't want a bunch of dogs of conflict taking it from us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, for your presence, for your goodness. Thank you, Father, that you have not abandoned us. You have told us, Jesus, that in this world we will have trouble. There will be conflict, but you have given us a peace that comes from God, your Father himself, through you. And we can have through your Holy Spirit as we just submit ourselves to you. You have made us free. You have given us freedom that we can walk in it. And so, God, we claim that and, and sing that and, and, and proclaim it in Jesus' name. Amen.